Welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, your host, and today we are thrilled to have fertility veteran and PhD scientist Amy Beckley joining us. Amy has been trying to break down barriers for those experiencing infertility for over a decade. She's been very vocal about her own struggles, experiencing seven miscarriages and several rounds of IVF before inventing the first at-home progesterone test kit to help empower women with more information on why their bodies may be miscarrying. Infertility can feel so isolating, but we know that many women experience these struggles, and we are so incredibly grateful for women who are speaking up and sharing their stories. That's why today we're chatting with Amy about common fertility struggles and her mission to empower and change the conversation around infertility. So let's welcome Amy to learn more. Hi, Amy. We're so happy to have you on our podcast, Chick Chat. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. We'd love to learn a little bit more about you and your experience. Oh my goodness. Amy, can you tell us a bit about you and your background and how you came to specialize in fertility? Yeah. I mean, I had a little uh, rough go at it and it just wasn't as easy as I thought, uh, which was frustrating. So I have a PhD in pharmacology. I've been a scientist I in the lab, like doing really awesome stuff. And I was like, well, I'm this smart, educated woman. I went to school. I have my career. I, you know, I got married. I bought this cute little house. I have the dog. You know, it's like the ducks are in a row, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just, you know, going to have a baby because how hard could it really be? It was hard. It was very hard. I couldn't conceive. And then you go to the doctor and they're like, oh, well, you're just 29 and you haven't been trying long enough. Go back and try again. As we did. And I finally got pregnant. And that was very happy week of my life. The next week was the saddest week of my life because I lost that baby. I'm so sorry. But the silver lining was, okay, well, at least now I can go get the help. I can go to the doctor. And then they said, well, you know, miscarriage is normal. One in four pregnancies ends in miscarriage. Why don't you just go try again? And so I learned that there was this arbitrary trying 12 months or three losses before you're allowed to have like medical help. It took an emotional toll on me because I am a type A. I need to be in control. I love doing things. I love owning my data and tracking things and just, and I was a scientist. I was like, I was my own science experiment and I felt like a failure and nobody was helping me and there was nothing out there available to help, you know, long story short, Seven losses, three years of infertility later, turned to IVF, and it was the only option. I mean, I was unexplained infertile. Like, nobody could figure out why I kept losing pregnancies. It was like, I don't know what's wrong with you, and so we're going to do IVF because that's, it's like a medical band-aid, so if we don't know what's wrong with you, that'll help. So I did two rounds. I have an 11-year-old from that, so it did, it was successful. We joke, we named him Cash because he took our cash. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) After Cash was about two years old, I kind of turned to my husband and I'm like, yes, I am crazy, but I'd like to do this again. Uh, I'd like the second child. And he, you know, was supportive, but I'm like, you know, I'm going to take a different approach. I'm going to figure out what's wrong. I'm going to put my scientist hat on, so to speak, and really just kind of figure out what's wrong. I mean, there had to have been a reason. I just didn't know. So I actually had conversations with my doctor and we went through all the research and all this stuff. And 
turns out that I had what's called a luteal phase defect, which is a little kind of a controversial subject because there's no diagnostic test for it. So that's why I went undiagnosed. And so basically when you do fertility treatments, you know, you have a cycle where you ovulate, you make this egg, and then the egg releases so that it can be fertilized. And then it has to travel to the uterus where it implants. And that whole journey takes between seven and and 10 days. So seven days between you have intercourse that's timed correctly and implantation. And during that time, your ovary makes a second hormone and it's called progesterone. What that progesterone does is it makes the uterine lining receptive, like a nice home for that embryo to implant. The problem was I didn't have enough of that hormone and it was dropping too soon. And so the embryo would come down, it would implant, but my uterine lining started to slough off and I'd get my period too soon. How did you find out that? I mean, that's pretty intense and specific. How did you figure that out? So I would get pregnant, I would lose it. I would do temperature charting. And I was like, I don't think there's enough days between when I ovulate to like the end of my cycle. But the problem that doctors had was that they have blood tests to check progesterone levels. And so they're on a certain day of your cycle. And every time I got that blood test, it was fine. It showed perfect levels. And so there I was, unexplained and fertile. That was like the beginning of that window. So it's a four-day window. And so you take a blood test here, and it's great. The beginning of the window looks great. You have great levels. But then you never know when that embryo is going to implant. Is it going to be day seven, eight, nine, ten? Right? It's anywhere on that window. Right. And so by eight, nine, uterine lining was already sloughing off. And so I got a little bit of implantation, a little bit of pregnancy hormone, but then it was just coming off. It was failing with the lining coming off. How we figured it out was I saw all this research, and I was like, you know, if you're losing pregnancies, you could have a progesterone deficiency. And the treatment for that is to start progesterone. So your body doesn't make enough. You can actually give yourself more progesterone. And so it's a, it's a vaginal supplement. It's widely available. And that's what we did. And I would time intercourse and then I would take my supplements. And the next time I got pregnant, turned into my eight-year-old daughter. Aww. And so I was like, huh, it's interesting that... I didn't need IVF. I actually just had this this hormone issue. And so basically, I, I had a problem with ovulation. And so the problem with the products on the market is it tells you to time intercourse. When is that egg leaving? And so people assume, doctors too, that you're ovulating. You got a positive ovulation test, you're ovulating. But ovulation is not yes or no. So there's we like to say good ovulation and bad ovulation. There's ovulation, then there's pregnancy-friendly ovulation. And so what we do is we measure the amount of progesterone production over that critical four-day window, and we do it with a urine test. So we actually look at the metabolite of progesterone in urine. And so we can really understand what is happening after ovulation to prepare your body for, for pregnancy. Or we just did a clinical study where if you have prolonged PDG, which is the metabolite we, we measure production during that window, your chances of pregnancy are five times higher than if your levels are low. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, it's a lot of science. 
is really cool, but it's a lot of science. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Such frustrating science because you're like, oh, if, if more women just knew this kind of information, maybe it would change some people's paths. And that's so cool that you were able to discover that. And I'm curious now hearing this story also, I want to just say like, thank you for being so open with your own fertility struggles. We so appreciate that because I think that lets other moms know that it's not just them. They're not the only ones who are having a hard time trying to get their babies in their arms. So for you, I'm curious, what are the most common fertility struggles that you see in women? The biggest struggle is they don't understand that timing intercourse is all they can do. And so we see a lot of women that are trying to get this new fertility tracking device that does this and that or the other thing. Well, this one is the temperature on the wrist and this one does that, right? And it's all about helping time intercourse. Mm-hmm. They don't really realize that if you have intercourse every other day from the day after you start bleeding till the day before you start bleeding the next cycle, you'll hit your fertile window if if you're fertile. It's really more important of is your body working? Are you ovulating? Are you producing enough progesterone? Do you have enough eggs, right? So that's another thing is women are waiting longer. So we're waiting, you know, we're building our careers, we're career women now. And so, you know, the age of first child is not till 35. So making sure they test their ovarian reserve, make sure they have enough eggs left, make sure they're planning accordingly. We see a lot of women with ovulation issues. So the ones that are timing intercourse, but they're just not making enough progesterone because as we get older, progesterone decreases the more stressed out we are, (laughs) the progesterone decreases. So just having a a job and a career and things to do just affects our hormones. The other one is men are 40% of the problem and women always take it on themselves. Like it is my fault. It's all, I'm only fertile two days. We have to track it. We have to do everything. You got to get him involved. You got to get the male partner involved. And so we actually work with a company called Yo, and we provide the hers and his kit, which is a simple screening tool. It's 99 bucks. And what it does is it screens for the three most common causes of infertility. So one of them is that progesterone testing. So to make sure you're actually ovulating and have sustained progesterone levels during implantation. The second one is timing. So we do offer a ovulation test in there to make sure they're timing it correctly. And the third one is sperm, modal sperm. And so it's a really cool at-home kit. You take a little sample and you put it on a little microscope slide and you can see the little sperm swimming across the screen. And it makes it a fun experience for men. The hardest part is convincing the male partner to get a sperm checked. They don't want to go to some gross clinic and get some dirty magazine like... <laughs> it's just it's not <laughs> it is it is I know my husband tells me stories he's like it was really hard to give a sample with these nurses out of the out of the window gossiping about what they were watching on tv <laughs> yeah Oh God, I can only imagine. Oh Lord. Well, but that's good to know that there are some resources, but, and I love how you are saying that we need to get the men also involved in this and that women shouldn't take this heavy burden because that is, you're right. I feel like women totally take on that, the whole load of infertility when 
I love that you're saying that they're only really 60% and men are 40% of the problems most of the time. Yeah. And if you're super lucky, there's a problem on both sides, which is oh, fun. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> what do you yeah. do in that situation then? It's a double-edged sword, right? So we tell women if they're ovulating properly, right? Because problems with ovulation can make it harder to conceive. And so when they get a negative result, it's very hard on them. It's just very, oh my gosh, I knew I was broken. I'm never going to conceive. And actually, this is good news because of all the things in all the world that could make you infertile, this one's the easiest to treat. And so there's very good medication. There's very good doctors. There's very good treatment paths for ovulation issues. Sperm issues, if you have a moderate count, you can increase it with, you know, maybe not riding the bike as often, maybe wearing boxers instead of briefs, eating certain foods. If you have a really low count, you can do um, an IUI where you basically just inseminate instead of timing intercourse. If it's no sperm, if it's like not modal, you know, you do have to do IVF. And that's a really expensive treatment path. I mean, if it's just an ovulation issue, there's so many things that are really affordable that women can do. And so it does seem like a little bit of a blow. She's like, oh, there's something wrong with me. But yeah. you figure it out and you correct it and you get pregnant way faster than if you had no idea what was wrong. Before I jump to my next question that I was going to ask you, you're saying there's all these options for women. Can you list some of those options so that our listeners who are listening, they're like, okay, that's great, Amy. What are those options? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So if you have an ovulation issue, there's certain things that an OBGYN primary care physician, as well as reproductive endocrinologist can do in their office. The biggest one that we find works the best is letrozole. So this is an ovulation induction medication. It basically tricks your body into thinking it's not making eggs so that it makes more eggs. So it's a simple medication you take by mouth beginning of your cycle, but it stimulates ovulation. Another class of drugs that does the same thing is uh, Clomid. Similar to what Letrozole does, Letrozole also goes by the brand name of Famara, but Clomid is a little bit old school, I would say. <laughs> Most Newer, hipper physicians are using letrozole because I think it works better. There's more scientific data on pregnancy rates, not as bad side effects. One of the doctors I talked to actually called it clone monster because you turn into a a monster when you're on clomid because it just makes you super moody and emotional. So those are the two things if you're not ovulating. Those are the, the things I would talk to the doctor about. In my case, I just needed luteal phase progesterone. And so I was ovulating, I was producing the egg, but the ovary was not making enough of that progesterone. And so you can just take progesterone after ovulation. So like the last 12 or so days of your cycle, then that can be taken orally, it can take be taken vaginally, rectally, if that's your thing, topically. So there's creams and oils and stuff like that that contain bioidentical progesterone. Those are the big ones. Um, if you have PCOS, which is a, it's just a big one, a lot of women are thinking that they're ovulating. So they're making those hormones that cause the ovulation test to turn positive, but they're not actually ovulating. They're not producing progesterone. So it's really tricky. Like PCOS is a finicky, <laughs> very frustrating thing. There's a medication called metformin, which can help them regulate their insulin, which can help regulate their hormones. Unlike typical ovulation tests, 
prove works for women that have PCOS because we could tell if they're ovulating or not. But the things like Clomid, Letrozole, Progesterone are fantastic for women with PCOS. But the hardest part is is identifying that they are having an ovulation issue and taking that information to their doctor because they'll have normal cycles and they'll have normal ovulation tests. But the hormone imbalance that causes PCOS, it's like your ovaries get super excited and they try to make all these eggs and then they just stop. So it looks like they're ovulating, but nothing's actually getting released from the ovary. And so it's really frustrating for a woman with PCOS because it looks like they're ovulating. They have all these great signs, but they're just not getting pregnant. Um, So you see a lot of women that can get pregnant very quickly. They have the right information, the right tools. This is so helpful. You've already given us like some great ideas for people who are just like, ugh, it's just not happening. Where can I start? Thank you for sharing all that. And and I know that you are passionate about changing the conversation around infertility, which we so love. Can you elaborate? I feel like you touched on this a little bit with like the boxers versus briefs, that sort of thing. Can you elaborate on some of the myths and in misinformation that surround infertility, because some people think those kind of like little things are myths. Like what is, what is actually factual and what isn't? So what maybe tell us some myths and misinformation that surround infertility. Oh yeah. We do a couple of these a year. And my favorite ones to debunk is legs in the air after intercourse. That's only going to cause you a UTI. Like don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so the theory is, you know, you have intercourse and you don't want all the good stuff to flow back out. You want to lift your legs and keep it in longer, right? Yeah. Not necessary. Yeah. So when the man ejaculates, it's all the way up and the sperm will stay and the, all the fluid, which was like the fuel, will go away, which you don't want that in there anyways. And so sperm will live in your reproductive tract up to five days. You don't need to hold it in there. It's not going to make it, it doesn't help at all. And actually what it causes are UTIs, yeast infections, a lot of irritation. As you can tell, semen is not something that a woman normally has or sees. No way. I know, right? <laughs> so it's not designed to hang out in your body, right? The, yeah. sperm, the sperm stay, the semen, you know, the, the fluid should leave. So that's a big it's not one. even good for your pH balance. I, from what I hear, it's like can be irritating and all of that if it's too much. Yeah, no, I mean, I remember when I was, you know, just at it every single day because you don't, you don't want to miss a day, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would do that. I would put my legs in the air and I would sit there and I would get infections and it was miserable. And I'm like, oh, I don't have sex again. It's going to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but I need to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Along the same lines, menstrual cups. So there's this, I don't know who thought of this idea, but it's horrible. You know, menstrual cup to collect period blood. Yeah, absolutely. You'll have intercourse and then you'll stick the menstrual cup up there to like trap it. No. Yes. And I'm like, do you guys understand a menstrual cup has a reservoir? (laughs) (laughs) Like I can't like, (laughs) do you guys understand science, but they'll do it. So women are just they're desperate and they hear these things. They think it's going to help. I'm like, please don't do that. Like that's not, it's not good for you. Yeah. These are good. You got to tell us more myths. This is perfect. Lubes. So a lot of companies have like sperm friendly lubes, you know, it's won't kill sperm. It's, it's so great. There's no evidence 
on you need it or you don't need it. If you need lube, go ahead. Absolutely. But don't freak out if you ran out of your lube and you have intercourse and someone spits on a hand instead, like (laughs) not that big of a deal. And there's actually some companies that the lube will, will kill sperm. So it doesn't kill them, but they make them less modal. And so what people don't understand is if you're going to use these lubes, they have to be at room temperature. I mean, if you're in the moment, you're not going to be like, hold on, I'm letting me lube up, come back a half hour, and then we can have intercourse. And so that's how it's designed is it has to warm up to body temperature. And so they're using these lubes and it's actually causing the sperm not to, to, it's like, it's like you put your sperm in like a refrigerator. They're like, oh, I can't, I can't swim right now. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You can add products if you really, really want to, but don't feel like you have to. And if you're going to, please read the directions. A lot of women don't read the directions. Another one that I can't even believe I'm even saying this. There's this thing called Yanni Pearls. They're like packets that you put up your vagina to like clear it out and clean it out. It's supposed to like increase increase fertility and like, you know, increase the womb. Like those are really dangerous. Like I would definitely not not do those. That's like douching. That's a no-no. We don't recommend those things. Like let your vagina be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know there was a whole push for vaginal steaming too. Yes. Like, mm, <laughs> I might pass on that one. <laughs> well, this is good to know. Good things to like stay away from. But are the stay away from for men, are there any okay, let's talk about that. Are there any myths for men? I'm not a sperm expert by any means, but there is evidence that if you have a high temperature mm-hmm. in your scrotum, that it can reduce the sperm count. Interesting. Be wearing briefs, go to boxers. They have these things where they're like they're like ice packs for your balls, and it helps like reduce the temperature. The hard part is that no man in creation wants to wear boxers that have ice packs on their balls, so it's really yeah. hard to get a man to actually do that. The biggest misconception that I see from men is sperm production is a constant process, just like ovulation. Every cycle, a woman makes an egg. She has another chance to do this. So they go, oh, I had this sperm test like five years ago and it's fine. Or I had this one sperm test two years ago and it was low. So we have low sperm. He could have went on a big, like long bike ride and just not, you know, he could have had a poor diet or been stressed out or went out drinking with his buddies or something. And so the biggest misconception is you can't, draw conclusions from a single sperm analysis. You really want to understand it. And so if you have a less than ideal sperm analysis, do things like decreasing scrotum temperature, increasing diet, changing, instead of you know riding bikes, I'm sorry, I'm picking on that one, to running instead, those kind of things. So it's like having a low sperm count is not the end all be all, this is our lot in life, kind of thing. There's actually things you can do. That's a big misconception. So when we sell our sperm kit, it's actually two, you get two of them. And so we always talk about patterns, right? So we like to measure hormones across cycles and patterns. We also like to look at sperm counts over time and and patterns. And so, you know, think of it as like a lifestyle, right? You get a, you get a 
sperm score at the end. And if it's 60, you know, let's change some stuff and get it up to an 80. Yeah. Oh, well, that's great. There's things that they can do too. They're not sentenced to that diagnosis or whatever. The number of sperm that a man has has nothing to do with their manliness, their testosterone levels, their libido, none of that. What about men with low testosterone? Is that is that a thing? Does that affect their fertility? It can. So you do need testosterone to make sperm. And for libido and, and stuff like that, it's typically not something that... I mean, I don't want to talk out of turn. I'm not a sperm expert, but that also can be reversed. So you can take testosterone. Part of a fertility workup is the first thing you do is, do you have sperm? Is it modal? Yes. All right, cool. Let's move on. Is it not? All right, let's go do advanced testing. Let's go check testosterone levels. Let's check different things and see why, why it's low. And so if they have a normal sperm count, typically they don't need to get any blood testing. Many women feel, I believe, isolated, you know, when they struggle to start their family. How can we empower and support them while changing the conversation around infertility? Yeah, I mean, this is a tough one. I am guilty of this. When I went through it, I was doing it by myself and I didn't tell anybody. And then when I got through and I had my two children and I completed my family, that's when I kind of came out of the closet, I'd like to say. And I was telling people and it wasn't until I told people that they would send me a private message or an email. Hey, what did you do? Because I'm struggling right now too. And I would tell them and then they would get pregnant. And I'm like, I can't keep this a secret. Like I have to, I have to take my knowledge and create a company and create tools to help women. And so it's hard to want to share But you see, so there's different ways to do it. So if you're very private and you don't want to share, you can go on different communities. There's one called What to Expect. And you can go on there with some Gmail that you just made up and make some fictitious name and go in there and just post stuff. And no one will know who you are. You'll get that support and that community. Other one is if you're want support. I mean, we have other women who they're like, I announced my pregnancy the day after the pregnancy test turned positive. And I wanted to do that because if I lose this pregnancy, I need my support system. And so I'm going to be upfront and honest and about it. So, you know, there's no right or wrong answer, but know that there's resources for each person. Like Instagram is really good. If you want to be anonymous, there's a lot of accounts that help support you can be totally anonymous. You can do, even do a second Instagram handle with just like ttcbecky.com or like whatever. So it's like totally different, not even tied to your name. We offer support, support community on our Facebook page. So you have a community that talks about the product and what to do, what the results mean, and just overall support. I mean, it is tied to their, their Facebook profile. It says public, so nothing ever, or I mean, it's private, so nothing ever goes public. But The biggest takeaway I would say is that if you need support, there is a support system for you. Like if you don't feel like you're okay enough to tell your mom or your neighbor or your best girlfriend, then there's communities online that can be totally anonymous. I say that because I just had lunch with another woman and I just met her 
And she was telling me about she, her and her husband are going to go out and try to have a baby at the end of the summer. And it was like, oh my gosh, I appreciate you telling me this because now we can help you. We can have these conversations. And that was really cool. So if you're nervous that you think that no one's going to understand you or no one's struggling, know that they are. And if I had come out of the closet sooner, I would have had so much more support because all my friends were going through it too. We just weren't talking about it. And like, can you imagine, like, I, I just always think like, what would it have been like if I had had my friends, my friends and us all go through it? Because we all have kids of the same age. <laughs> so I'm like, I know we were all going through it. <laughs> it just nobody talked about it. Um, that was also, geez, almost 12 years ago. So times have changed. Definitely not a taboo. I mean, it's a, it's a subject that we should be talking about and that nobody, the conversation's open and yeah, it's not a, I got to hide under the rug anymore. It's, you know, it's just like talking about a good drink that you just had or a good story you just went to go visit or awesome outfit. It's the same. You know, you yeah, want support. I agree. And I think that I'm glad that more women are opening up and sharing their stories and making it less of a taboo thing because so many women do experience that. And and that actually leads to my next question for you. How do you think we can remove more of that stigma around infertility? I feel like, like you said, 12 years ago, we've come a long way, but how can we just continue removing that stigma? The biggest one that I hate, this is kind of the beginning of my story, was you haven't been trying long enough. You haven't had enough losses. Oh, this is normal. Like I hate, I hate those. I mean, I just don't give me lip service and tell me I'm not alone. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to help? Right. And so somebody says, Oh, well, one in four pregnancies ends in loss. I'm like, yeah, but 30% of miscarriages are preventable. Can we do some testing? Right. So you need to arm women with information and knowledge so that when they're pushed aside being like, Oh, well, it's fine. It takes time and you don't qualify for this or that or whatever, that she has the knowledge and the power to push back and say, you know what? I don't feel like having three miscarriages. This is over here telling me that there might be an issue. Can we do testing and demand that testing and really change the conversation? It has to start with infertility awareness. A week just happened and it's always about increasing awareness. I mean, it's not just awareness. It's not just, oh, poor me that I had this, but guess what? All these other women also had it, so I'm not alone in this battle. It's what can I do to change the conversation, right? So resolve. They're fighting for insurance coverage. They are fighting for military veterans to get IVF covered because they were wounded in combat, and it caused their infertility. Like, they're fighting for... Women not losing their jobs because they go on maternity leave, right? That's the kind of action that we need. We need people to be passionate. It's not, oh, yeah, here's an awareness campaign. Hey, we're all in this together. To have change, we have to actually do it. We can't just talk about it. And so women that get put, like, brushed aside and not listened to with their doctors, they're just, you know, another number or you don't meet medical guidance. I always say, you know what, go somewhere else. <laughs> like they're not the doctor for you. And you don't know, have a better, have a better conversation because it's just, it's not fair. We, we have this thing where it's like, if 
miscarriages happen to men, it would be one miscarriage and we're going to treat you. It's none of this, like, you have to have three to get some kind of treatment. It's in, like, it's barbaric. It's crazy. Like, well, you know, you only had COVID one time. We're going to wait for you to have it two more times and then maybe we'll treat you. It's like, who does that? Like, right. <laughs> It's so sad. And what about for the women who just, I, and that's terrible about having to go through three miscarriages before you can get treatment. But what about the women also that like never get pregnant and don't have miscarriages? They're then thinking like, I would think that women who have miscarriages, they're like, okay, I can get pregnant. So that's at least a tiny silver lining, but I just got to figure out how to stay pregnant. Whereas the mamas who, cause I consider them still mamas, they're, they're working for the, their babies in their arms. So what can they do to try and, you know, where do they go? Who do they talk to? Yeah. I mean, I think it's similar because, you know, when you go to a, a doctor and you say, I want treatment, they go, well, how long have you been trying? You're like four months, which seems like an eternity when you want a baby. They're like, oh, you just haven't been trying long enough. Just go back home and, and check or just go, you know, go back home and have more sex and then it'll happen. That's where they need to advocate. That's where they need to do home testing like what we do. You can go to a doctor and say, you know, I think I have diabetes. I don't know. And they're like, well, you know, we haven't, you know, you haven't shown signs of diabetes yet. You haven't had it long enough, whatever they send you home. But if you were to come in and be like, hey, I took this A1C test and it shows that I had elevated blood sugars, can you do some testing? They're going to be like, oh, well, yeah, of course. And so if you can start that conversation with your doctor and you know, you can say, well, my husband took this, this sperm test and it was kind of low. I'm a little worried. Can we get some follow-up? So it's like if you have an identifiable issue, mm-hmm. there's no reason you have to wait 12 months. And so it's like having that piece of information, it's like a COVID test, right? It's like if I have a positive COVID test, you can go in and and get treatment. But if you don't have a positive COVID test, it's like, well, you know, just go home. So it's about starting that conversation and having data, because if you have to wait an arbitrary time period, because you just, you know, just have intercourse, you can bypass that. If you have data that says, it doesn't matter if I have to wait one year, two years, five years, it will never happen because I'm not ovulating or he has no sperm. (laughs) Like, please help me out here. You know, if you advocate for yourself and you put the power back into, into you and you share that data. I mean, doctors love data. They love data. They will go, oh, okay, cool. Let's do some testing. Awesome. Okay. That's helpful. And what advice would you give to someone who is struggling with infertility? Like what is your piece of advice? The biggest piece of advice I have is to really follow your gut, your heart. I call it mother's intuition. Like she kind of knows, you know, so when I was started out and and I went through IVF, I'm like, I know, like I was was so broken. I'm like, I've got to do IVF, but I know I don't need it. And so following that gut feeling of like, there's something wrong. I'm going to figure it out. And so just follow that instinct, go to a doctor. They don't want to have that open conversation with you. Find somebody else. You know, doctors are people, women are people, and I'm not friends with everyone. And so everyone has a different situation. So there's different doctors for different people. 
And so you just have to find one that fits with your lifestyle and your needs. And if it's not the first one that you walk into, try again. It's okay. Try again. That is super helpful. Thank you so much for that. And I'm now wondering what knowledge is most important for someone on an infertility journey to be empowered with? So we have a medical advisor. She calls it the tushy method, right? So there's five five things that you can do. I'm hoping I'm going to get it right. Five things you can look at to see why you're infertile. So it's T-U-S-H-Y. T is tubes. So make sure your tubes are open. U is uterus. So make sure your uterus is free of abnormalities, growth, stuff like that. S is sperm. We talked about that. H is hormones. We talked about that. And Y is your unique genetics. So there's like, you can be carriers for certain things, cystic fibrosis. You can have some kind of genetic things. The Jewish population is at a higher risk. And so if you're of Jewish descent, they actually talk about genetic screening prior to conception. And so there's things that you can do. And so you just, you click them off the list, right? And obviously you can't go and, hey, are my tubes open? Right. <laughs> you need a doctor for that one. But being able to have those conversations, it's a crazy world out there. Healthcare is so crazy. I mean, I, I just, COVID has killed insurance companies. They are just dying with how much COVID has cost. And so they don't want to cover anything under insurance anymore employers that offer certain benefits like Google will offer fertility benefits and women will go into the office with this really awesome fertility benefit and the fertility clinic will drain their benefit, their lifetime benefit. Cause they're like, Oh, $20,000. Let's do this and this and this and this and this. It's like, I'm like, Whoa. so, I mean, it's just, it's a crazy world out there and you just got to have your eyes open and you've got to try to understand and learn as much as, as possible. I don't know. Like it's, <laughs> it's a lot. Try to find someone you trust. So again, with the support communities, if you can find one either in real life or, you know, a pseudonym or whatever, find that because getting recommendations from other women is gold. They've done things, you, you know, they'll help you learn it. Wonderful. Well, Amy, that's so helpful. And for our listeners, you know, do you have any resources that you recommend that our listeners looked into to learn more about infertility? Obviously, our website, provetest.com, so P-R-O-O-V-T-E-S-T.com. We're founded by women. We're run by women. We have a team of 15 women and one token male. Hopefully, he's not listening. <laughs> but our pillars are education and testing and solutions. And so education always, always, always comes first. We've fantastic content on there. So join the email list, get all the content. Um, we try to make sure it's reliable. The other one is it's a, it's a website called Fertility IQ. So fertility and then I and then Q, two letters. That is a completely non-sponsored site where they go and they review different doctors and they have a lot of educational content about this procedure or that procedure or in, and so it's like when you're going in for treatments and they're like $20,000 and you're like, I don't even know what this is, this medication or whatever. You can go to this website and you can learn the video. It's like, Oh, so you've been prescribed Folistim. I'm going to tell you what Folistim is and what it does. Right. And so it's like doctors don't have 
enough time to educate women about it. They just, it's just healthcare. And so having a, a resource like that, that, you know, it's not sponsored by anybody. It's just education that women can go and they can get that knowledge. That's really powerful. I mean, word of mouth. What did your girlfriend do? What did, you know, what was successful for your sister, right? <laughs> Those are all helpful too. Perfect. Perfect. Any final thoughts or advice, you know, that you have for our listeners? I mean, I've already given you my the two big ones, which is follow your heart and advocate for yourself. The other one is, it's really hard. And it's really, you know, you feel like less of a woman because of, of something that's going on. But to not lose hope. Another thing that I hear is a lot of women, they think it's their fault. And like, they just get down, we call it the pit of despair. So every single time they have a negative pregnancy test, it's just harder and harder and harder and harder. And so to really think about mental health, and to just support your emotional well-being. There's a lot of programs out there. The one that I like the best is a company called Organic Conceptions. It's a emotional wellness platform for couples going through infertility. And so all of those feelings that you go through when you see the negative pregnancy test, it's just short little video content that's like, you know, it's not your fault. Like you're doing everything you can and like look at the positives and the other one, I guess, is be proactive. So if you think you're going to pull the goalie or whatever, get testing done sooner than later. It's just more and more common that we deal with fertility issues, especially when ourselves and our partners are not spring chickens anymore. We're, you know, typically a little older <laughs> and we're more impatient, right? I'm, I'm a woman. I want to get pregnant tomorrow. You know, we have a lot of teachers that are like, all right, I got three months. We need to get pregnant so I can have the baby in the summer. Like, you know, they want it. They're very type A. That makes total sense. Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. And do you have just, we need to know about you also on like, do you have anything new and exciting going on that we need to know about? Yeah. I mean, we talked a lot about infertility and that's definitely my passion but we've gotten really, really good at understanding the woman's cycle. And so we know when she's ovulating, is she producing enough hormones? We also are really good at ovarian reserve, how many eggs she has left. And so we've been really focused on the fertility market. And we're like, huh, we know how to create a really awesome cycle. When else is this beneficial for women? And so any woman that's dealing with perimenopause, heavy periods, mood swings, PMS, cyclic acne, all these like hormone issues that plague women that are not fertility related. And so later this summer, we're coming out with a platform for general women's wellness. It's a hormone testing platform. It's three hormone measures a week apart, and it snapshots the whole cycle. And we can understand if there's any hormone issues that are causing these symptoms, and then how do we help her regain balance and fix those issues. So happy cycle is what we're trying to promote. So that's our biggest thing is, okay, we spent so much time helping women get pregnant by having a healthy cycle. What else can a healthy cycle do? So we're really excited about that. That is so exciting. Congratulations to you guys. Thank you. Yeah. And now Amy, we need to know where can we find you? Where can our listeners find you? We're on Amazon and on our website. So provetest.com, so P-R-O-O-V-T-E-S-T.com. We have a quiz 
where if you're coming in and you're very overwhelmed, because we have a lot of, we have like 11 different products on our website with like, we test this hormone or that hormone or whatever. I would see a really cool quiz. You, know, you can go in and you can tell me a little bit about who you are, what your goals are, what do you want to do? And then we'll recommend products that meet your needs and, and where you're at. That's how to find us. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Well, Amy, this was so informative and helpful. Just thank you so much again for sharing your knowledge and your passion with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. And for our listeners out there to learn more about Amy and Prove, you can visit her on her website at Prove, P-R-O-O-V, test, T-E-S-T dot com or on Instagram at Prove Test. Our team will be posting today's episode on our Baby Chick Facebook page. So if you have any questions, questions or comments about our discussion, please share them with us in the comments section. And as always, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us an honest review. Cheers to everyone on their fertility journey.